Welcome to Good Morning New York Real Estate with Vince Rocco. Our show is all about the exciting world of real estate, and in particular, how it relates to the lucrative New York market. But if you're not planning a real estate transaction in New York, we still have plenty of information that you can use no matter where you are. Now, here's your host, Vince Rocco. Good morning, everyone. We are live from Smash Studios here in Hudson Yards in New York, and this is Good Morning New York, and we're getting underway on a Tuesday morning, a cold Tuesday morning here. At this hour, you may have heard that the New York City sales market favors buyers right now. That's because sales have slowed, and there are a lot of apartments for sale, and where there have been many price reductions, a dynamic that's been in play for over a year now. It's an important consideration to keep in mind whether you are thinking of buying or selling. How are buyers navigating this buyer's market, and how are their agents advising them to do it. My panel of experts will break it all down for us. Also at this hour, special guest James Nelson from Avis and Young is here to discuss the latest trends in the commercial marketplace here in New York City and to give us some clarification on the latest rent regulations, retail space vacancy, and so much more. And you can catch his show, Real Estate, Real Estate Investing, live from New York every Tuesday evening at 7 p.m. Eastern. We'll talk more about that later. But first, I'd like to welcome my listeners in the United States and around the world. I am Vince Rocco, and this is Good Morning New York Real Estate. In the news this morning, market values of New York homes, apartment buildings, and commercial spaces are rising at their slowest pace in six years. The properties rose in value by 3.6% overall, while commercial property values rose by 2.4%, and hotel values went up by less than 1%. All of this according to the New York, uh, the Wall Street Journal. Uh, the total market value of properties in New York City was uh, at about $1.4 trillion, a $62 billion jump from last January. The weak growth in valuations comes in the wake of a lengthy slump in New York's real estate market, which has been facing slow home sales, slow rent growth, and declining commercial sales. Manhattan properties saw the smallest increase in value at 2.1%, while the Bronx properties uh, uh, went up in value by 6.3%. Brooklyn properties increased by 5.8%, and Staten Island and Queens properties both increased by less than 3%. Oscar winner Meryl Streep has finally sold her Tribeca penthouse for $15.8 million. Located at River Lofts, a private condominium popular with A-listers, Streep's condo spans 4,000 square feet with four bedrooms, a wood-burning fireplace, and a media room. The full floor pad also has a landscape wraparound terrace. Streep and her husband paid $10.13 million for the loft in 2006, according to records. They listed it, though, for $24.6 million in 18. After a broker swap and price cut, the unit was most recently asking $18.25 million before finding a buyer. All of this, according to the Wall Street Journal. The buyer's identity, of course, was uh, not made known uh, as of today. Contract activity for luxury units, those above $4 million has been sluggish. The first two weeks of January marked the worst start of the year in seven years. All of this according to the Olshan Realty Report. Overall sales above $5 million tumbled about 38% during the fourth quarter of 2019. According to appraiser firm uh, Miller Samuels, sales below $5 million accounted for 95% of the quarter's transaction volume. Meanwhile, recent splashy closings at certain developments like 220 Central Park South largely stem from deals made several years ago, and those deals aren't necessarily happening right now today. Did you know, though, that in the elegant Hungarian capital of Budapest, it's good news for home sellers and not so good news for buyers? No other city in the world saw price climb uh, prices climb higher than in Budapest. In the third quarter of 2019, the price of a home rose 24% year over year. This according to Knight Frank, who's a, a global um, 
uh, analyst out of London, it wasn't a fluke for the city of 1.7 million to top the list of highest risers in the fourth quarter of 2019. The report pinned Budapest's upward trajectory on falling unemployment and growing wages. That's four times, though, the rate of the highest U.S., though, the fastest rising U.S. city, Phoenix, which only experienced 6% year over year. I mean, you know, these numbers that we, we look at sometimes are staggering. But Budapest, a seller's Who market? Who would have thought? Wow. Who would have thought, right? That's crazy. I don't know anything about Budapest. I don't know anything about, but well, maybe we should move there. Yeah, yeah, let's all start brokering deals. Yeah, seriously, I don't know anything about the real estate market there, but, you know, it is what it is. All right, special guest today, James Nelson. He is a principal and head head of Avison Young's Tri-State Investment Sales Group, where he leads a group of three dozen professionals in the um, sale of multifamily office development and retail properties. In 2018, the Tri-State Investment Sales Group closed 16 sales valued at $394 million, resulting in Avison Young's naming James one of its top sales professionals of the year. He has built a unique sales platform at Avison Young, consisting of a unified client-first sales group that is broken out by asset class rather than territory, and where brokers share information and commissions in order to provide the best client experience. Avison Young is the only global real estate firm that is principally owned, meaning that principals are personally invested in the long-term success of their clients. Throughout his 20-year career, James has been involved in the sales of over 400 properties and loans with an aggregate value of over $4 billion. Prior to joining Avison Young, James served as vice chairman of Cushman and Wakefield, where his team marketed um, over $1 billion in listings, ranking him as the number one investment sales broker nationwide in 2016. Wow. What a resume. Thank you. Previously, James is a partner. Oh, no, it's and still, it, it keeps going. Able, <laughs> you know, God bless. edit it for next time. Let it keep going. That's, <laughs> that's quite all right. He was also a top producer for Massey Knackle. Remember that firm? Six years um, for six years, their last eight, I'm sorry, for six of their last eight years and was named the company's youngest partner in 2004. He is chairman of Rebney's uh, Commercial Board of Directors, among other places, and has received numerous distinctions and awards. And as I said at the top of the show, he hosts a show on the Voice America business channel called Real Estate Investing Live from New York. And it's a great show at 7 p.m. every Tuesday evening on the Voice America business channel. Excuse me, I said uh, variety on the Voice America business channel. So look out for that show at 7 p.m. Good morning and thank you for joining us. Thank you so much, Vince. And it's really you I have to thank for bringing me to the Voice America <laughs> Network, and you, you've been such a, a mentor, huge fan of the show, and uh, thank you. having a lot of fun with with the new program. So I hope you're, you're we tune in. we love Voice America. We've all been part of it now for for over six years, and we're happy to to bring on people who are qualified and have a good story to tell. And on the commercial side, which we're going to talk about this morning, uh, it oftentimes uh, rivals residential, residential rivals commercial, whatever. But it is so fascinating and so interesting to those who really only play and residential because it is so different. And what I would like you to do for us today is kind of discuss the differences uh, that the the two sides of, of the real estate industry here in New York, um, you know, have. So starting out with, in the past, though, regulations have changed where you originally said that it's hard to determine the actual effects on sales prices and, and laws based on the, the new rent regulations because they were implemented back in June, June of 19. But recently you said, quote, we just now are seeing the effect on sales post-reforms, though you suspect in Manhattan there will be more market rate properties selling, not regulated. You also believe that because of land prices, there will be more sales residences and fewer rentals coming onto the market. In Manhattan, you say land is priced for condos, and you have a lot of landlords who want to build rental buildings, but a lot of the land is not priced for that. For retail spaces, 
uh, asking rents may soon go up. Uh, this is a buying opportunity for investors because there may be a sentiment that retail has overcorrected. So what are your thoughts on all of that today from the, again, from the commercial perspective? Retail, interesting when I was reading this, the, the land is really priced for condo uh, mm-hmm. developers, not for rental buildings. So how do we get around all that? Right. Well, the land prices have come down to be clear uh, whether or not it's now at the, the level where you can build rental in Manhattan. I think we still have a little ways to go, uh, but certainly there are opportunities in the boroughs. Uh, but yes, there are a lot of parallels with commercial and residential. And like your market, which has uh, declined, uh, commercial, unfortunately, also saw a pretty steep drop last year. So the number of sales for investment properties, and this is $5 million and above throughout New York City, all asset classes dropped 31% year over year, okay? So last year, there was a total of $26 billion in sales. The average uh, year is 44, 45 billion, with the peak in 2015 going up as high as 77 billion. But I, I think we can all agree that that really wasn't reality that that year. Uh, we, we might never see anything like that again. I mean, the the you know the average listener out there who is not so savvy in, in real estate, whether it's residential or commercial, would say 26 billion dollars in sales right. is not so bad, right? right. Not right. so bad. 45 is better, but yes. 20, uh, you know, 26 is not so bad. Yeah. So, so it's um, the market is very broad, right? And and it's when you look at the entire city, there's 250,000 properties. Typically, you're going to see anywhere between two to four percent of that product turnover. So there are yeah. going to be sales, but as you mentioned um, last year, and I, I've been doing this for over 20 years, I have never seen the type of regulation that we experienced last year um, with the Tenant Housing and Protection ha- uh, Act, where they took. And you have a, in a city of three and a half million units, a million of those units are rent regulated. And what yeah. they did was they said, we're going to take these rent stabilized units and we're going to essentially freeze them in time. Uh, owners used to have the ability to decontrol those units, uh, bring them to a fair market rent. Now they said we want them to stay in the program. So uh, that had a immediate impact, I would say, on pricing, although to your point in the lead up, we haven't really seen that until later because whenever we put out sales reports, it's really a uh, lag. That's right because th- those you're looking for the transactions that were negotiated today that aren't going to close and be reported for another four or five months. So you know it wasn't really until the middle of last year when this uh, was approved up in Albany that the music really stopped for, for um, multifamily. You know, we're going to talk a little bit about uh, the rent regulations as we go through the, the, the hour here. But in your opinion, I mean, I, I think it's tragic. Uh, and and in, in your opinion, though, how do we how do you guys on the commercial side work around that? I mean, because it is uh, it, it's kind of like, you know, um, you, you can't move. You can't do anything right. with with changing that. How, what, what do you guys what are you thinking about? Uh, as far as the future of all this? Do you see it changing again or do you not? Right. So the first thing I would say is we all agree that this city needs more housing, especially affordable, especially affordable housing. Yeah. But what um, this reform did was not create any new affordable housing. No. In fact, it, it freezes it in time. And I will remind you all that there's no qualifications to live in rent-regulated housing. There's no means testing, Right. So the way to create new affordable housing, and we saw it happen, was with these uh, 421A projects that were built. They right. now called Affordable New York, where you set aside 20, 30 percent affordable. Those units are means tested, where you have to have a certain income level to qualify. That program was working, 
But now developers are even cautious to build that because they're talking about prevailing wage, whereas if you take uh, a subsidy from the city, that now it has to be uh, union labor, so the, the cost could mm-hmm. go considerably up, and, and as you uh, go further out in the boroughs, that's significant. And then the big thing right now that's being talked about is universal rent control. And the way that would happen is uh, through good cause eviction, where if you had a fair market apartment that was about to renew, uh, and you try to increase your tenant's rent by 150% over CPI, so call it 3 or 4% or more, uh, that tenant could go to court and say, my landlord has given me an unconscionable increase, and most likely they would uphold it. So it's kind of a backdoor way to have complete regulation of the entire city. And if that happens, I can tell you, I mean, the institutional buyers are already out of the market. If you do that, we're not going to see any more housing built in the city, and it's a real, real issue because um, I always, as, as a broker, we, we always try to find, you know, where, where is the glass half full? Mm-hmm. The good news is last year, there was a record 48 million square feet of office leasing. Mm. So when you have Facebook coming with a million and a half square feet, you've got Google, Google. saying they're going to add yeah. a thousand jobs a year. you got Apple that just signed on. Yeah. Amazon is back. But where are these people going to live? The um, I looked at the the HPD numbers. There's only about twenty five thousand new housing units added every year. That's in a city with three and a half million units. That's not enough. Right. That's less than one percent that we're yeah. adding to the housing stock. So, I think this next year or two could be the year that the tri-state. I don't know if any of you are doing things, you know, in, in Jersey or even going for you know further up. Uh, certainly Westchester, although that could be regulated too, and even Connecticut. But we need. I mean, these people are going to have to live somewhere. All right, we're going to have more on that uh, after the break. This is Good Morning New York on the Voice America Talk Radio Network. We're coming right back. Don't go away. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. Hi, this is James Nelson. I'm a huge fan of Vince's show, and I'd like to invite you all now to listen to my show on the Voice America Network, Real Estate Investing, live from New York. I will teach you everything you need to know about investing and operating commercial real estate. There are hundreds, if not thousands, of TV and radio shows that deal with investing in the stock market, and yet almost none that cover exclusively commercial real estate. This is not a get-rich-quick or how-to-flip-home shows. I will teach you step-by-step how to source, acquire, improve, and profit from commercial real estate. Please tune in live to the Voice America Business Channel every Tuesday at 7 p.m. Eastern and 4 p.m. Pacific. Thank you. At Halstead, we know that what moves you is important. We are all about the power of transformation. We're revolutionizing the way people live and work. We are agents of change. We are the deal makers. We are the fearless negotiators. We are the future builders. So you can move to what moves you. I'm Jeff Goodman at Halstead, and I love Vince's show. I host a program of my own, but not about real estate. Rediscovering New York is about our city's great neighborhoods, their history, texture, and their current vibe through interviews with historians, business owners, and interesting neighborhood personalities. We're broadcast live every Tuesday at 7 p.m. on talkradio.nyc and available on iTunes, Spotify, and other podcasts. Rediscovering New York with Jeff Goodman. I bring the city's great neighborhoods to life. 
It's not easy to make it big in New York City. It's even harder to sustain that success for decades. However, two teams have defied those odds due to their formulas for success. Both have all-star rosters performing at the top of their game. Each have an undying commitment to greatness, a willingness to evolve, superior training programs, and ownership that invests heavily in their products. It only seemed natural for the world's most valuable sports brand to partner with Halstead, a market leader in the New York metro area, and now proudly serving as the official luxury real estate firm of the New York Yankees. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com You are listening to Good Morning New York, Real Estate with Vince Rocco. If you want to call into the program, we're toll-free in North America at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Now, back to the show. Okay, everybody, we are back with... um with our guest, and we're talking to James Nelson from Evers and Young. James, in New York City's retail sector, uh, finding footing after several years is it's it's sort of been in flux. This, according to to brokers. However, the storm clouds are brewing over plans to implement a commercial rent control that could wreak havoc with the sector once again. They don't have as many vacancies as last year, which means landlords and tenants are coming to terms, uh, and the market is finding equilibrium. You know, how likely is rent control it to happen in that sector? And, you know, one of the things that we always talk about here, sadly, is uh, you know, every time we cruise up and down an avenue or a block in a taxi cab or whatever, we see another restaurant closing and another, you know, commercial establishment, retail establishment, rather, closing. What is going on in retail? And we'll, we'll talk about pop-ups in a minute, though, but what's happening in retail? Right. So when, when you read the papers, uh, a lot of talk about the e-commerce effect. And, and yes, certainly uh, people shop differently today. Although e-commerce, the, the reports I've seen are anywhere 12% of all sales. Maybe that goes to 20 25%, especially now they've figured out grocery. You know, it seems like it must be a lot more than that, right. but, I, but I don't know, right. the, you know the real number. I think, though, the, the, the real challenge here in New York is that we had a, a pricing issue where you saw rents run up at an enormous level. I mean, think about Broadway and Soho, okay? Ten years yeah. ago, the rents on that corridor were $250 a foot. Then it was $300, then $350, $400, $500, dollars $1,000 a foot. Wild. Now, we all know that the retail sales were not tripling or quadrupling during that period. In fact, they were, we know they were going down. That's it. So there was this space war where these uh, retailers were saying, I need to plant a, a flag. And now that's that's not as important to do. So we have seen uh, a major correction in rents. And I, I think, look, no one likes vacant stores. No one likes the mom and pop record store that we all love going to in the East Village, you know, move out. But let's face it, not all retail can make it. Uh, but they're also, um, I think that there's a certain rent where uh, a retailer can survive. And it's painful right now. And, and the, the misconception that landlords are somehow keeping stores vacant to try to get every last penny. I mean, these landlords are ready to negotiate. They want to, you know, they're trying to do anything they can to rent the space. So for the city to propose that they're going to tax the owner on top of it, I mean, they're already paying, re- you know, real estate taxes, carrying yeah. a vacant space, paying a mortgage. It does them no good to keep the space vacant. 
Let's talk about the restaurant business for, for a minute because I, you're right with the city taxes on top of everything else. But if a, if a restaurant, for example, is in a neighborhood for 15, 20, 25 years in some mm-hmm. cases and, and, and probably even longer, uh, you know, it, it becomes it becomes like the fabric of the neighborhood and, mm-hmm. and, and the, you know, an establishment where everybody in the neighborhood knows and loves it and goes to. And then all of a sudden one day they're closing. And there are so many recent examples of that. And I understand that landlords are negotiating. And, and, and everybody wants a fair deal. But I guess I don't understand as a consumer and as a person who's lived in my neighborhood for 16 years, I, I guess I don't understand why or how that happens. Where is it breaking down where the establishment owner can't come to terms with the landlord in a lease, in in, in whatever? What, where is it really breaking down? So it, it's a great question, Vince. And I, I think it's not just the rent, uh, that there's so many more costs today associated with running a restaurant. Wages, there's been a lot of talk about that Wages, and, and, and what you need to do to stay current. But the, the big add-on to the rent are real estate taxes. So everyone thinks it's the landlords yeah. who pay these real estate taxes where most of these the, the increases get passed along to the tenant. So you might have the restaurant paying a reasonable $80, $100 a foot rent, but then they get on top pushed, of it, you know, yeah. another $30, $40, $50 a foot of, of taxes. Mm. That is what um, re- really is the, the and question. it's a low margin business. I used to own a restaurant in East Village, and there's a lot of things that contribute to, you know, a restaurant moving on. Like Seamless, for instance, will take 20 to 30% of the deliveries. Well, They'll hold the money for six weeks sometimes. Right. Uh, you have... A lot of city regulations, regulators coming in, health department, DOB, whoever, and they just, you know, they hand out, uh, you know, fines like Halloween candy. And, you know, guys with two, three bars, they just get sick of it. And they said, you know what, I'm just going to go move out to Long Island and, you know, become a real estate developer or do something else just outside of New York City. And I think it's 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 a huge con. There's a lot of uh, contributing factors. I mean, you go to if you go to like a community board meeting, in one of the stricter districts, it's it's a like kangaroo court inside and uh, people are treated really unfairly and unfortunately you know as you can see with the Amazon situation New York City is not very business friendly but like even more so towards small businesses unfortunately mm-hmm. Yeah, well, I think we need some changes in the local government as well. But you know, talking about Amazon, for example, I mean, and you mentioned e-commerce before, you know, seamless, uh, Sean mentions. I mean, you know, everybody is doing everything online these days and and quite frankly, shopping for clothes, shopping for shoes, shopping for food. I mean, everything. Uh, you're homesick. You get on Instacart on your phone or your iPad and you're getting your groceries delivered within a two hour block of time, you know. Why go to a, why go to a storefront? I mean, right. th- that's basically what it comes down to. But th- but I believe, especially in cities like New York, that really just destroys the sense of community and the fabric of this town. And I, but you know, e-commerce is not going away anytime soon. But I believe that we've got to find a way to you know get back into the retail establishments and 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 call them our own. For example, research you know released um, at the end of last year on the commercial side, dubbed 2019, the year we just completed, the year of the pop-up, as scores of digitally uh, native brands broke into bricks and mortars, physical spaces, and local entrepreneurships and upstart brands pro- proliferated. The pop-up movement is at the nexus of all new trends that are reinventing the retail market. The pop-up arena is where we see some of the greatest innovation and in space activation with non-traditional tenants that will increasingly become permanent users of space, you know, replacing those tenants who have gone by the wayside, unfortunately, as we keep talking about here, and who have been around for a long time. Why, though, James, my question is, why can the pop-ups afford the rent? 
uh, and not the retail establishers establishments that have been there forever. So the the pop up rents are at a uh, heavily discounted rent, and in many cases, it's a third or a quarter of market. And and is that these, just to bring them in? It's to bring them in. It's to activate the space. I mean, Ricky's is famous for it around yeah. Halloween. I mean, yeah. they open up all over the place, yeah. and the landlord says, "Look, I can, you know, the space will 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 show some activity, get a little bit of rent, but it's because the the, the rents are much more affordable." Well, I have a friend who um, his name is Ryan Foss. He's the co-founder of Wallplay. I'm not sure if you've heard of it. It's um, it's a pop-up focused um, company where they find, for example, they have on Canal Street. They found uh, 20 different landlords on Canal Street where they basically white box the space, and then Wallplay took ownership over them temporarily. If they found a tenant, of course, the the owner of the the property, then they would give it back to them within 90 day, days notice. But what they do is they activate a, a string of spaces so that they can go to different, they have a whole network of different pop-ups so that they occupy the space, white box it, and then they manage the, the pop-ups and split the rent with the owners. So it's been a great... Um, a great way for owners to, like what James was saying, capitalize and get some money in while also um, activating the space, showing what the space, the vacant retail space now can look like with a brand in there and then hopefully to rent it out. So it's a, it's a really good um, uh, activ- activation. They had a huge increase in the uh, number of business that they did last year in 2019. So I, I think that pop-ups are, are something that's here to stay because what they focus on is experiential um, they, they focus on the experience of the yeah. of the space yeah. uh, versus just like selling, you know. You also have to imagine that, you know, these pop-ups are really good marketing. It's just pure marketing. I mean, think of, think of like the Kardashian pop-up in Soho last year. I mean, with social media line around right the door. now, yeah, there you were, can't, can't even get I, I think there were like 10,000 people waiting on line around four different blocks. So, so you have to imagine that, that when wasn't, that was Car- interesting. Right. When the Kardashian pop-up moves out, there's a lot of publicity or enough publicity for that storefront space, to, yeah. to then get rented out much more easily than it was, I guess. Uh, Jim, so so, what would your prediction be for the pop-ups in 2020 or the new year that just started? And also just the, the commercial arena in general. What are your thoughts on where we're going to be uh, this year and throughout this year? Right. So I, I think short term is, is the new norm. And we're certainly seeing that in the office space as well. And even though WeWork is having their challenges, uh, we think co-working is here to stay as well. So I, I, I think you're going to see more short-term leases. Uh, but then I think you're also going to see a lot of this retail get converted to other use. I mean, we just have too much retail in the city. And, and it's you look at uh, you know, Hudson Yards and how much new retail was built there. We're creating all these new neighborhoods mm-hmm. and it just creates even more competition. So I, I think a lot of this space will get converted to medical. Maybe some of it gets converted to residential. You might be working with clients who have, you know, maybe it's a co-op and they have a ground floor retail and you're saying that this might be worth more as an apartment. I wanted to ask you about the retail space at the base of a lot of these new condo buildings because, you know, years ago we used to say, well, build a building, get the residents in, sell the buildings or rent the buildings and the retail will follow. You know, I don't see that happening that much anymore, but yet developers are still building at the base of these unit, uh, these buildings all of these retail units. I have, I'm have. i selling a residential building for three years now on the Upper East Side, and they don't. we have a retail space that's available for either sale or rent for the past three years. And the agent who's got that uh, retail uh, listing on the commercial side hardly even shows it. And I keep thinking, well, maybe it's good for a pop-up. Maybe it's good for something else, but you got to do something with this. Mm-hmm. You know, the signage on the window is getting a little annoying now, but it just doesn't seem to be moving. 
So I'm not quite sure going forward that developers who build these buildings and, and put these retail spaces at the base of it, you know, are making the right judgment call. So uh, you know, maybe medical, maybe, maybe, maybe nothing. I don't know what it is. Well, it depends what their basis is, too. And these developers who bought sites several years ago uh, with, with a big pro forma on what type of retail rent they were going to get, they, that might be challenging to fill that space, especially if the bank is saying you can only rent it at a certain level. But I can tell you today, developers, the retail is a throw in and they're not thinking about, you know, what's the highest dollar that I can get, but they're thinking about how do I program this retail to make it an amenity for those who live there. So maybe you want a soul cycle on the ground floor. Maybe you don't get as high of a rent, but maybe you get higher sales upstairs because of it. Yeah, I I agree. I think it's, I think it's all about opportunity. It's, it's, you know, developer, like no, no offense to your projects. I mean, it's in a location that I'm sure it's hard to rent out that retail space. Think about when they started building Waterline Square with one West End and the rental building next door, there was nothing in that neighborhood. And one West End developer smart that they built retail and signed West Side Market there like very quickly because there was no supermarket. So. All right. Hard stop. Stand by. We're we're live from Smash Studios here in Hudson Yards. You're listening to Good Morning New York on the Voice America Talk Radio Network. We will come right back after these messages, so don't go away. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. Hi, this is James Nelson. I'm a huge fan of Vince's show, and I'd like to invite you all now to listen to my show on the Voice America Network, Real Estate Investing, live from New York. I will teach you everything you need to know about investing and operating commercial real estate. There are hundreds, if not thousands, of TV and radio shows that deal with investing in the stock market, and yet almost none that cover exclusively commercial real estate. This is not a get-rich-quick or how-to-flip-home shows. I will teach you step-by-step how to source, acquire, improve, and profit from commercial real estate. Please tune in live to the Voice America Business Channel every Tuesday at 7 p.m. Eastern and 4 p.m. Pacific. Thank you. At Halstead, we know that what moves you is important. We are all about the power of transformation. We're revolutionizing the way people live and work. We are agents of change. We are the deal makers. We are the fearless negotiators. We are the future builders. So you can move to what moves you. I'm Jeff Goodman at Halstead, and I love Vince's show. I host a program of my own, but not about real estate. Rediscovering New York is about our city's great neighborhoods, their history, texture, and their current vibe through interviews with historians, business owners, and interesting neighborhood personalities. We're broadcast live every Tuesday at 7 p.m. on talkradio.nyc and available on iTunes, Spotify, and other podcasts. Rediscovering New York with Jeff Goodman. I bring the city's great neighborhoods to life. Streaming live. The leader in Internet talk radio. VoiceAmerica.com You are listening to Good Morning New York Real Estate with Vince Rocco. If you want to call into the program, we're toll-free in North America at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Now, back to the show. All right, everybody, we are back. 
uh, with James Nelson from Everson Young. Also joining us this morning is Anna Shagalov from Halstead, Matthew Cohen from Halstead, Ari Harkoff from Halstead, Sean McPeak from Halstead, and Niall Lundgren from Compass. All right, so oh. you could say <laughs> lightning. <laughs> you're joining the, 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 the team, bro. Wow. All right. You could say lightning struck twice in the New York City uh, real estate market in 2019, first in the form of New York's historic rent reforms, and again with a pileup of luxury condominiums and a stalling of resales. As a result, power shifted in two significant ways, first from landlords to tenants and then from buyers to sellers. Okay, so question to all of you. Is this the new norm and uh, will these trends reverse? And if so, when? Is this the new norm? Let's start with that one. Um, you know, we always talk about that you never, the, when the market hits the bottom and it's not going to go ding. I was thinking about that a lot last weekend, actually, because, um, or just in the, in the past week, because I went from having like one active buyer to, to eight. And, um, and now I have like six contracts out and it's, it's, it's become so much, you know, so much busier in such a short amount of time, which makes me think that if this could keep going, maybe it does create that shift. But then when you look at regulations and you think about the rest of the markets, you have to come down to earth a little bit. So I, I think that this is something that will go on for probably like a year or two in a transitional, um, almost, you know, buyer's market back over to the middle. Um, but I think we're, we have an interesting, you know, few months ahead of us. I think also, like James, you made a really interesting comment about the rise in commercial and retail lease rates. So, you know, 100, 300, 500, 1,000 over a very short period of time. We have the corresponding issue on the residential side when it comes to income. So real estate prices went up, 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 and up, but incomes are essentially flat, if not even down, adjusted for inflation. So there's this disconnect between, you know, where you are from a value perspective on your real estate and where you are from an earning perspective. I had dinner um, the other night with a friend of mine, and he was saying that, you know, the cost of living has gone up three, fourfold since the 90s. He's in finance. Incomes have gotten cut in half. He's getting stock that's now worth much less than, you know, what they say it's worth. And so he can't afford, he can afford so much less than what his counterparts could have afforded 10, 20 years ago in the same position that he's now in. It, there's a disconnect and, and, and we, we're not solving that in the short term. And how would you account for the stock market gains if, if someone's playing in the stock market and they're not getting the But that's the, the issue growth. is you're having growth in assets but not growth in income. Mm-hmm. So your real estate's worth more and your stock portfolio is worth more, but on a monthly basis you can afford the same if not less. Mm-hmm. And real estate yeah. taxes have gone up and True. you can't deduct the same amount with the new tax reform. And so there's this disconnect, which is why the rental market is stronger yep. because people are putting – And it causes buyers concern because I have a buyer right now exactly you know in the same situation – Assets have increased. You know, all of a sudden she has lots of money, but her income really has not increased. And so she's like, well, you know, on paper, it looks like I can go for another 500 or another million dollars in purchase. But in reality, you know, if the assets start declining for whatever reason or something goes bust, now I'm really back to just my level of income, which is not a bad income. But you know, it's not going to rise her to the level of where she should be after X amount of years wants to be uh, or, or you know, in some cases needs to be. So there is a disconnect. I agree with Ari. But, you know, again, is this the new norm or I mean, how do you think we resolve that? I don't know that there's a, a resolution anywhere on the horizon, because if you take what Matt just said and what Ari just said, they contradict. So you have all these buyers kind of coming out of the woodwork yeah. and they're they're spending money, but then there are buyers, but they shouldn't be able to afford it. Yeah. So 
the, I mean, the market over the last few years has just been really erratic and doesn't make sense in accordance with the stock market, in accordance with uh, the economy and employment Correct. and all of that. None of it makes sense. So, yes, there, there'll be a resolution at some point, but this has been the longest drag we've seen in a really, really long time. And that is the reason because there's, it, it's completely inconsistent. Yeah, and to to Ari's point, I mean, the you know, the majority that I'm seeing is the condo market is actually really great for buyers right now. It's Absolutely. it's you're seeing yeah. you're seeing a Absolutely low one hundred percent exactly no yeah. qualifications. So DTI is more just regarding the mortgage, mm-hmm. and banks are definitely more lenient these days with regards to and the developers debt and sponsors are there. very lenient and right. We're having my development thirty six. We're having banks that are considering doing five percent down deals. Yeah. That's crazy, though. Scary. Yeah. That's scary. scary. That's what but got then, us into trouble in but, 2008. But then, uh, but then also, like to Ari's point, so so people over the last two years, their you know their stocks have inflated at twenty to forty percent. I mean, I mean, like I just had a call with my financial advisor last night, and my stocks went up like twenty percent last year, and he was like, "Don't get used to this." He was no, like, "No, no, no." And, and I think so. People, if if people are like me, I get nervous when things inflate so much, and then again, I. I said that a year ago, and I, I, I liquidated stocks, and I probably shouldn't have. But like, I think that people I, get nervous. I, I agree with that, but I'm more concerned with the banks wanting to lend or agreeing to lend five percent, even ten percent. I was kind of but hold know, on, saying, what, oh, but hold what on banks? Are because those? that's how we got in trouble uh, in citizens, 2008. Uh, citizens was talking about it has to be like right. a special situation. The person has to have like a you know 740 plus credit score. And yeah, I'm still finding that the, like, the DTI needs to be like below 12 percent or something. Like yeah, that. I'm still finding that the major banks like Chase, Wells, B of A, they're still doing I, a 15. I, I don't think any bank should do that because that's how we got no, in trouble the first no. time. Right. And, no, and quite frankly, we all want to make deals. We all, all want to sell our condos, especially when you're when we're trying to sell them for a couple of years already. But that's not the right business plan. I'm sorry. And, that's and plus, just you wrong. have to you have to plant most of your money into that bank yeah. to get it to happen. Correct. Uh, all right. So you know, we say that you know uh, buyers now have control. Uh, you may have heard that New York City uh, the sales market favors buyers right now. That's because sales have slowed and there are a lot of apartments. Uh, for sale on the marketplace, are you know how are buyers? The question here is how are the buyers out there today negotiating this buyer's market, uh, and how are better said, better asked rather, how are you guys as agents, all of us out there as agents, how are we guiding these buyers in a buyer's market today? Because as all of you have said in the last few minutes. There is a lot of trepidation. There's a lot of concern. There's a lot of confusion. There's a lot of everything, including banking issues. So. It is a determined buyer's market. We get it. Best time ever for buyers to buy, as Matt said before, especially condos. But how are we negotiating uh, with our buyers today to get them to get contracts out? And how are they negotiating this market just in general? I mean, because everybody says, well, it's still kind of slow out there, even though it's in favor of the buyers. I think, uh, I think incentives psychologically are going to be are going to be key this year. Um, we're doing a deal right now where we lowered the price to just below the mansion tax threshold. Yeah. Um, we're splitting transfer taxes and we're doing like a, you know, a sponsor covers the attorney fee, which is quite exorbitant, unfortunately. Uh, so they feel like they're getting a great deal and everyone's pretty happy about it. Um, so I think if you, if you're kind of, uh, giving out concessions and just creating a deal that, you know, appears to be a very good value, but also is good for the, the developer on paper. Um, and going forward with comms, I think that's how you're kind of 
finding the sweet spot right now in this market. I think also from a guidance and advisory standpoint, uh, buyers are very used to the last couple of years really having the floor and um, and really taking their time. They'll see something mm-hmm. they love. Oh, absolutely. Then they go and see 100 more units. Absolutely. And then that one that right. they love is still mm-hmm. there. It's probably had a price reduction. And, well, that's and they, might, they may or, may, or yep. may not go for it. Right. What Matt was saying earlier with, you know, now he has eight buyers and six, con- six contracts. I'm in the same boat. At the end of last year, buyers started coming out of the woodwork. I am very buyer heavy right now. And they're anxious. And they're saying, well, you know, why don't why don't you ask the other broker to let me know once they mm-hmm. once you know if, if anybody else cuts us off? I'm like, well, you kind of have the floor right now. You, if somebody else is in is in the mix, then you're not going to get as good of a deal. You're going to be competing, mm-hmm. and people are starting to move a little bit faster. And and, there, and buyers have to get their heads around that. And there isn't actually a lot of product. If you take all the right, products exactly. that's been yeah, sitting in the market for there twelve isn't. or eighteen months, that's yeah. right. We're actually inventory starved. Yeah, we have all these buyers, but we can't find anything. For I them. can't find. I am working with two right now, and I can't new find any. Come on in the first three. And a lot of what was yeah. on last year through the end of last year was taken off. Correct. Because Correct. sellers can't sell at the prices they want, so they've taken off. I'm doing a search, yes, literally pulling my hair out yesterday, trying to find something. I have a big showing coming up at the end of the week. Can't find product. It's all, I can't find anything. Well, there, there are so many, there are so many um, off-the-record conversations happening within our industry where people are asking, what do you have for this? Mm. You know, this is a buyer that I have with this criteria. Does anybody have anything? Yeah. And chances are people do because of all the, the inventory that went off the market well, waiting for spring. Well, this is part of what happens when you have down cycles. What happens is you get the really motivated sellers and they start to sell into the down cycle. But then as you get further into the down cycle, a large portion of the motivated sellers have already transacted. Mm-hmm. And now you're at a point where a lot of the owners are saying, I don't like where values are. I'm not, I'm not motivated to sell. Mm-hmm. Why would I put my place on the market? I'm going to wait this out. So you have, uh, you have a lack of supply, and then on the new development side, most of the product has come on, and people are not building today as right. they used to be. The other point is, you know, I always explain to buyers, there is no New York City real estate market. There are a thousand sub-markets, and within the thousand Absolutely. sub-markets, every property transacts in its own way. So Absolutely you may right. be reading articles in the Wall Street Journal about how lousy the market is, but there are four bids on this Brownstone and Park Slope. So if you want it, great, and if you don't, fine. Every day is a new market. It's every property is its own market. Absolutely. Really what it comes exactly. down to. And the good yeah. properties are selling and still even getting multiple bids. James, mm-hmm. comments from the commercial side seeing the same kind of stuff? Well, it's just really interesting to hear this conversation because when, when Ari talks about that product that's sitting and not moving, you know, what, what I've read from, from your reports is it's really the ultra luxury. So you look at the five, $10 million plus, that's the product yes. that's been sitting there. Mm-hmm. But when we're selling land, the developers are telling us, okay, we want something where we can make really efficient two bedrooms that can sell for under 2000 a foot, Correct. you know, under a ticket price of two and a half million. But it takes a while to deliver that product. We just sold a site on the Upper East Side, and I'm telling you, this would have gone for probably eight, nine hundred dollars a buildable foot two or three years ago. This developer is getting this in the low five hundreds a buildable. Wow. Now he's gonna, it's gonna cost him five or six hundred dollars a foot to build it, and I'm talking gross numbers. You guys sell on net, so that means his break even is probably gonna be fourteen, fifteen hundred a net foot. He can deliver new condos on the Upper East Side yeah, at two thousand a foot, and he's going to make yeah. them very efficient. So, but it's going to take, unfortunately, two or three years yeah, to deliver problem. that. So yeah. it's always, you know, we're, they're trying to still. Yeah, sell. there's a delay on the new development right. side. 
The other thing we're seeing on the new development side is buyers are not buying until they see a fully finished, punch-listed, beautiful unit. They're not right. buying off hard hat tours. They're not buying off floor plans. They're not buying off, hey, the model looks great, but the rest of the building looks like Want garbage. Want to breathe the but space and see the like space. But they have something like 130 William that doesn't let people on site at all, and they're, uh, mm. they have 100 units in contract. I mean, there's an anomaly in no, every market. Which makes like no sense. Market-wide, it's project, we're buying off of finished products. So I to agree. James's point, you sell a site, that product comes to market in two, three years, but it's not done for three and a half years. I do. All right, we got to take a break. Sorry about that, Matt. Coming up after the break, we're going to talk more about the marketplace hard stuff. But first, this is Good Morning New York, live on the, on the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Don't go away. We're coming right back. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. At Halstead, we know that what moves you is important. We're all about the power of transformation. We're revolutionizing the way people live and work. We are agents of change. We are the deal makers. We are the fearless negotiators. We are the future builders. So you can move to what moves you. I'm Jeff Goodman at Halstead, and I love Vince's show. I host a program of my own, but not about real estate. Rediscovering New York is about our city's great neighborhoods, their history, texture, and their current vibe through interviews with historians, business owners, and interesting neighborhood personalities. We're broadcast live every Tuesday at 7 p.m. on talkradio.nyc and available on iTunes, Spotify, and other podcasts. Rediscovering New York with Jeff Goodman. I bring the city's great neighborhoods to life. It's not easy to make it big in New York City. It's even harder to sustain that success for decades. However, two teams have defied those odds due to their formulas for success. Both have all-star rosters performing at the top of their game. Each have an undying commitment to greatness, a willingness to evolve, superior training programs, and ownership that invests heavily in their products. It only seemed natural for the world's most valuable sports brand to partner with Halstead, a market leader in the New York metro area, and now proudly serving as the official luxury real estate firm of the New York Yankees. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Good Morning New York Real Estate with Vince Rocco. If you want to call into the program, we're toll free in North America at 1 866 472 5788. That's 1 866 472 5788. Now, back to the show. All right, everybody, we are back with Anna Shagaloff, Matthew Cohen, Ari Harkoff, Nia Lundgren, Sean McPeak, and James Nelson is with us as well. All right, so are you one of those people like millions of others who has always wanted to live in New York City? Are you also a little confused about how anybody who is not totally loaded, as they say, can make it happen? <laughs> you are not alone if that, in that regard. You may have to hustle. You may have to make some uh, compromises. And it's unlikely you'll get to live by yourself. You might need roommates. But... 
We're here to tell you that it can be done. Even better news will tell you how to do it. We've got all the most experienced <laughs> agents in the world in this room right now. So how do you make your dream of living in New York City come true? We all did it at one point in our careers. And how do you advise, you know, first timers or new people coming into the city, into the city that want to be here and start a life? When we all know how expensive it can be on the commercial side, on the residential side, just in life in general. Well, the first thing is uh, manage expectations because mm -hmm. your first apartment in New York may not be what you see on Million Dollar Listing. And the second thing is stop watching Million Dollar Listing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, that that's a little uh, slanted towards, uh, you know, the super rich. But, you know, one of the things they say is get a roommate. You know, when you first start out, you have to have a roommate because not everybody can afford to live on their own. I mean, some people can, but most people can't. Matthew. I also make the joke to people that you, you know, a lot of people think that to live in New York and live a, you know, okay lifestyle when you're young, um, that you have to be really far out, like in the Bronx or, or up in Harlem or in Queens or whatever. And I actually think that if you go really to the center, you can find some great deals. So the first apartment I lived in the city was in Hell's Kitchen. And even though it was on 45th between 8th and 9th, and I wanted to shoot my brains out because it was so loud, it was actually really... Really affordable. I mean, like it's yeah. very affordable in those areas. Well, one of the the bullets here is that it says except along a commute. So we're talking about you know uh, not fashionable Brooklyn anymore because that's just as expensive as Manhattan. But we're talking you know uh, Queens and the Bronx, Long Island City. I mean, you know the outer those, outer areas all where those it might places, be. Places uh, are considerably nicer now. They are. You know, um, they've all come around. Yeah, Astoria. I, I mean, so in, many uh, people living in Astoria is beautiful. You know, East Williamsburg, a.k.a. Bushwick. Nice. You know, we hear gunshots like every single night, like Correct. every single night. And uh, I pay like four fifty a month. Yeah, I mean, I moved when I first came to the city. I lived in Bushwick and then Bed-Stuy. Oh. When I was in Bed-Stuy, I rented a four bedroom apartment and then I just found roommates to pay rent. <laughs> and, and I paid four hundred dollars a month. And, and Niles told me these stories, too, of like, you know, <laughs> couch surfing or whatever, you know, yeah. and. Now they're selling six and a half million dollar houses in bed -side. Yeah, it, 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 wild. it's it's unbelievable. It's wild. But as, as James said uh, earlier, um, you know, consider co-living. Co-living is very big. And as you said before, it's not going anywhere anytime soon. There's a lot of co-living going on now. Now, there's a difference between co-living and a roommate scenario. But, you know, you can also get a co-signer. Uh, or use an in institutional guarantor. There are ways that you can come into this town, <clears throat> excuse me, and find a home first time or even second time, and start a career. Well, if Phil was here, we could also do a lease break <laughs> plug, which is a great place to find short-term space um, on the cheap. Uh, very true. And also, when you're when you're when you're young and you're first moving in and you have a roommate or you're living in a box or whatever, not an actual box, but it's very We're small apartment. Some of them are boxes. Um, I mean, the, there were some, I guess, in Matt's case. I lived in a little box. Thanks. Um, you're spending most of your time out. Yes. So you really just need a place to sleep, a place to bathe, and a place to just, uh, you know, a part, a to, be, to be warm. Is and it should if be you, clean. If you have someone that just comes to the city a few times a month or something, and they're just there part-time, that can yeah. be like one of the best solutions. You know, one of the funniest stories I told the first time, uh, I think it was a first-time buyer way back whenever, and, and she was looking for apartments and, of course, looking at a studio. And she said to me, you know, this is really kind of small, interesting, you use the word box, Anna, because she said, it's kind of boxy and tiny. I said, well, you know, basically, in New York City, that's what studios are all about. And I said, let me tell you my little first, my little story about my first apartment in a studio. That was a little box. I bought it. 
Um, it was very reasonable at the time. I bought it and I moved in and I thought, well, okay, so this is kind of tiny. I came from a very big place in, in the suburbs. But then I thought, and I told her, I said, so here's the deal. You know, when you first move into the city, you're kind of like a young kid in a candy store. You want to be outside all the time because if you're not outside, you feel like you're missing something. There were times I'd come home from work after a very busy day at work and I would go outside and just stand on the corner. Absolutely. <laughs> and just, just stand on the corner because I felt like I'm living that in New York City. Right, I Vince. should be outside. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Side right. job. <laughs> but I'm like, uh, you know, you just feel like you want to be outside doing something. If you're not meeting friends, if you're not doing whatever, you just feel like you don't want to be indoors. So if it's your first apartment mm-hmm. and you're struggling to make that work, don't feel so bad if it's small because it's going to be small. And then wait. Just go stand on the corner. And less on a recreational basis, but more on a professional basis. Most people, when they first move here, they're working all the time. Like you're, you're working until As 10, 11 o'clock at As night. So, yeah. yeah. How much time are you really spending in your apartment unless you're working from home? Well, I found time um, to stand on the corner. That was okay. <laughs> well, that's, that's your own problem. But <laughs> <laughs> One way to think about it, too, that I always say is you got to think of your apartment as your bedroom and the city as your living room. Right, just get out. That's there. my point. Yeah. Get out better there. said. Better t-shirt. said, Niall. Yeah, yeah. yeah right. Better said. That's exactly what the point is. You know, the, the, the you know, there. outside is, is life. That's well, what about wait? What about Vince's yeah. corner? Where does that play in? <laughs> well, I'm not going <laughs> to tell you where my <laughs> corner was. Vince, that's, that's called loitering. By the way. I'm not going to tell you where my corner was. That's for sure. As long as he's not selling anything out there. No, I wasn't selling anything. That's a whole nother show. But but listen, but but so when they come to you and they say, look. This is too small or this is whatever. You know, first of all, no matter what price point you're in, there's always a compromise in this town. Even when you're buying millions of dollars in real estate, it's never going to be big enough. It's never going to be the the perfect place. There's always going to be something. So if you learn to sacrifice from the very beginning, um, it's not a bad thing. What are some of the neighborhoods, though, where people do come and find? You said Midtown. I mean, where else do do, uh, first-time buyers or renters come and expect – in Manhattan to find affordable housing. I mean, as most of you know, I was an ex-banker. So uh, when you work in finance and you come to New York, they they actually highly suggest, uh, suggest like at Morgan Stanley, um, they suggest you live in Hell's Kitchen. J.P. Morgan, they suggest you live in Turtle Bay. Uh, Goldman, they suggest you live in Financial District. And I lived these in all are, those neighborhoods. These are That's neighborhoods so that you can find deals, like major deals. Yeah. So Well, Financial sense. District, I don't know about that now. <laughs> steering. Yeah. steering, there you go. Thank God we don't have to worry about fair housing here. But, but the Far East Village, I mean, you're far from the subway, but if you want to be on the island... There's, there are plenty of opportunities out there. Uh, there are. Um, but, you know, financial district, Matt, I'm not quite sure these days yeah, that you're going to find bargains. Yeah. That's where I started my career. Yeah. Just doing buy dive. Me too. Share deals, put the wall up. Yep, that's right. Just get them in there. But uh, we... It's kind of expensive. It's not. It's not like it used to be, and they're not really allowing shares like they used to either. Mm-hmm. No, and, and those, those walls, they're, they're those so walls dark. were banned. They weren't allowed to put those walls up anymore. But now I think they've changed. The, story, they've changed the rules. Hmm. I, I think what's going to be interesting, as I said before, is if uh, you start seeing the whole metro area. Yeah. viewed as an option. I think there's a reason that RxR is saying we're going to build 5 million square feet in New Rochelle. Correct. You can hop on Metro North mm-hmm. and you can be in Midtown in 30 minutes. I mean, yeah. that's a quicker commute than if you're, you know, f- further out in Brooklyn. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it begs the question. I mean, what about Yonkers? What about, you know, the I don't know about Yonkers. I, I, I went to school in New Rochelle. I love New Rochelle. I think it's a great a great little place up there. And it, you're right. It's 30 minutes or so on the on the train and you're there. I mean, right. Fort, Fort Lee is super built up right now. That's where most of the people at Absolutely. you know the hospitals up north are, are yeah, and there saying. are so many there are so many new ferry lines that are bringing people yeah. across the river. 
said Jersey City. Okay, my friends, hard stop. Sorry. This is our broadcast for today. Thank you for joining us. You can follow me on Twitter, on Facebook, or Instagram at Vince Rocco. We are back next week because if it's Tuesday morning, it's Good Morning New York Real Estate. Shoot for the moon, everyone. Even if you miss, you'll land among the stars. Be kind to one another. For all of us at Voice America, all around the world, thanks for joining us, and I will see you next time. Bye-bye, everybody. Thanks for tuning in this week. Please join us for another edition of Good Morning New York Real Estate with Vince Rocco next Tuesday at 9 a.m. Eastern Time, 6 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Here's hoping all of your transactions are successful ones. 